Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I became the uh, chaplain for the sheriff's office about uh, coming up on three years ago uh, in uh, August or September. And uh, they gave me uh, a number of things to use, including a dress uniform. Now, the dress uniforms are usually bought for each person because they fit, obviously, different on everybody. But they had bought a dress uniform for the last chaplain, and he never even got to wear it before he had to move on. And uh, so they go, hey, we got this dress uniform. So I put the dress uniform on, and it comes like this. (laughs) And I put the shirt on. It's kind of snug, you know. And the guy who gave it to me says, well, maybe you can lose weight and fit into it. Thanks, bud. Uh, Not that I need to lose weight or anything like that, you know. So I believe it it was uh, that fall I started, uh, or maybe maybe a year later, I can't remember. But anyway, I started losing started losing a little bit of weight, started working out, and uh, came a day last September uh, when I needed to wear the dress uniform, and I put it on. Oh, and it buttoned just perfect. I said, yes, yes. So that was great. And uh, then time went on, and this last uh, winter, I had that surgery on my shoulder. I couldn't do anything for like six weeks or so. Came another time when I needed to wear that uniform. And I put that uniform on, and it buttoned, but boy, it was tight. And I thought, you know, I've only, I'd lost 20 pounds, and I've been working out, and I've only gained about three pounds How can it be so tight? I thought, this is the most wicked, wicked trick of God that when you stop exercising, all of your fat goes right there. (laughs) So now I'm exercising again and uh, hoping to uh, be comfortable in that again. The only way I can lose weight and increase my physical fitness is by thoughtful planned choices made over and over. We both know that I won't lose weight by accident. Nor will I accidentally stumble into the everyday fitness three times a week and automatically work up a sweat and push myself to get stronger. We all know that doesn't happen by accident, does it? It only happens by intelligent, intentional, inspired effort. And that's the only way that you can leave behind your natural thoughts and become godly in your thought life. Read with me Romans 12, 1 and 2. We've looked at these verses several times in this series, and we're going to continue. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Today, I want to focus on that element of of changing your thinking, which has to do with with training, with discipline. We talked about the content 
last week when we looked at Philippians 4.8. And we'll look at that again briefly today. But the thing that we want to talk about today is how does it happen? Many of us know what we should do, but maybe we don't quite do it. And the question I want to ask today is how can we do the things we should do? In particular, how can we think the thoughts that we ought to think? Well, it starts here with Romans 12.1 and a grasping of the mercies of God. The Apostle Paul challenges us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind for our lives to be transformed, our behavior to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But he says the renewing of your mind will be the result. If it happens, it will be the result of you grasping the mercies of God. The mercies of God here, especially as we see this word, therefore, You know, when you see the word therefore, look and see what it's there for. It always points back and it says, look at all this stuff I've just been talking about. Now here's how it ought to be applied into your life. And the Apostle Paul, I believe what the word therefore sums up Romans 1 through 11. And Romans 1 through 3 talks about sin and how all are sinners and nobody seeks God on their own, but God draws them in. And then he talks about salvation in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, 7, and 8, he talks about the Christian life and how we can have victory over sin. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11, he talks about how God responded to the rejection of his own people, Israel, by setting them aside for a time and turning his attention to us Gentiles, us non-Jews. And that's why we are Christians today. We are Christians, if, if you are a believer in Christ, and you are sitting here today because of all of the things that God has done. And he says, the basis of your transformed life should be you recognizing that God has been merciful. At its core, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And because we're sinners, if God was to give us what we deserve, he would just let us go and watch us go straight to our death and straight to hell. And he would say, that's what you deserve. You are a sinner. But God is merciful. I was out riding with a deputy this week. And I felt sorry for some folks. I wish I could have changed their life. I saw just a couple of really, really sad, sad circumstances. And when God looks down from heaven, he feels compassion. And he says, you stupid humans, I'm going to have to do something. And so he does something. He says, I'm not going to let you go on your own way. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to save your soul. I'm going to change your life. And when we can grow up enough to recognize that it's God who has made us what we are as believers, we, our response ought to be, thank you, God. And our response after that ought to be, what do you want me to do? True gratitude toward God for our salvation will result in righteous living because that's what he wants. A few years ago, Sue and I visited our our daughter Molly when she was living in Switzerland, and 
Geneva, Switzerland is right next to France, and one of the things that I learned when Molly went there is that there's four different languages spoken in Switzerland, French in Geneva because it's right next to France. So there's a lot of French people that kind of move back and forth across the border. We took Molly to buy a birthday present for her to shop for something, went to a department store, and the lady that helped us was about our age or so, and she, she was from France, and she said, we remember we remember what the Americans did for us. I thought, wow, what a great thing, because there's so much anti-American sentiment in the world and in Europe, but here's at least one woman who, who essentially said, thank you for saving our country. As much as we might think they owe us a debt of gratitude, how much gratitude do we owe God? God has saved your eternal soul. You're not going to go to hell. And he's going to change your life now. How much gratitude ought there to be? The next time you're tempted to be self-driven and walk on your own path, stop and go, wait a minute. God in heaven, save my soul. He's been merciful to me. How can I look him in the face and go, not that big a deal? So you'd never do that, would you? But that's what it is. God has saved us from an eternal torment in hell. He saved us from a life of purposefully, of purposeful, purposeless wandering. He saved us from the guilt of sin. And we are supposed to show gratitude through our obedience, through our righteousness. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, look, do you appreciate what I've done for you? Then if you really appreciate it, here's what I want in return. Now, some of you right now are going, well, I'm not sure if I appreciate it that much. And frankly, I want to challenge you with something. If you can't come to a place of appreciating your salvation, you may not have salvation. Because if God is in you, he is working in you to say, look at how great this is. And the Holy Spirit is bringing up this understanding and you should be looking going, wow, it is great. You know, I haven't thought about that before, but it is an incredible thing. And I owe God. Now, what does God want from me? He wants me to obey him. And so Jesus put it this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, say it, mind. I talked to somebody this week who said, you know, they, they have very, very, very wicked thoughts. Very wicked thoughts. If I told you, you'd go, ooh. They said, but I never do those things. You know, I, I think about it, but I don't do it, so it's okay. No. Jesus said, love me with your heart, your soul, your mind. Everything. Everything. Now, how do we do that? Number one, we do that. We, if we respect God's love, then the first thing we need to do is to remember God's word. Last week, we looked at this verse right here. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. This word meditate here means to, to take, uh, to specifically work on 
remembering and understanding and putting it in your mind. The word meditate in the Old Testament is an interesting word. It means literally to kind of say something over and over and over. And that's one of the ways you can memorize, by the way, is just say it over and over. I got a, I got a way for you to meditate on God's word, even if you think you can't memorize. Take a three by five card or some little scrap of paper, write a Bible verse on there that you ought to be remembering like this one and just stick it in your pocket and then make a rule. Make a rule. Like every time you're tempted to think a bad thought, make a rule that says, I have to get that paper out and read that verse to get my mind on a good thought. Or make a rule that says, every time I stick my hands in my pocket, I'll pull that piece of paper out and I'll read that verse. And you know, if you read those verses over and over enough times, pretty soon you're going to start to remember at least parts of them. And you need to be thinking on God's word if the thoughts that come out of you are going to be righteous. You need to stock the shelves of your mind with God's truth so that when you need to think, (laughs) you'll have plenty of good material from which to choose. Isn't that the silliest thing to say? You need to stock the shelves of your mind so when you need to think, what you can pull down and use will be good stuff. I've got about 25 cans of spray paint at home. I'm probably on the Ferndale Graffiti Terrace watch list. <laughs> when I do a small project, like this week, I'm making a little, one of those Awana pine box cars. I don't want to have to drive to the store and get a can of spray paint. <laughs> I like to have stuff uh, stocked up on the shelves there, you know, uh, little pieces of wood, the glue, the the filler for the wood, the spray paint, the primer, the sandpaper. I want to have all that stuff in stock. I don't want to have to drive to the store for some little diddly thing. I've got all kinds of of things, uh, you know, when I need something, I buy it, and then it's there, and I can use it for all the next times. I have lots of good materials ready to go. I've got hardwood on the shelf. Some of it's plain down, some of it's not. I can, I can cut it up. I've got enough tools now. I can take a piece of hardwood that's bare and make something good out of it. Boy, I love that. I love to have all that stuff ready to go in the garage. Do you have lots of good material ready to go in your mind? It's got to be in there before you start thinking. And the only way I know to do that is to keep putting this in it, keep putting it in, keep putting it in, keep putting it in. One of the reasons you need to come to church is to get God's truth, get God's truth. It's not the only reason, but it's an important reason. Psalm 119, some familiar words to many of us, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. What a great thing. Memorizing God's word, knowing God's truth, puts it on the shelves of my mind so it's ready to be used. Jesus made a promise about the Holy Spirit. He said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said. This is a wonderful promise, and frankly, this is why Bible memory works. When you memorize a passage of Scripture, or when you put something on a piece of paper and read it and think about it, it doesn't change your mind just because you're doing it. 
This isn't talk therapy. This isn't Dr. Phil or Oprah or whatever. This is you saying, God told me to get this in my mind, so I'm going to do my best to get it in my mind by memorizing it, by reading it, by thinking about it, by acting on it. And when you do, the Holy Spirit empowers it. And then it becomes part of you. And you change and you grow and you become a better thinker. And as you stack those little thoughts of obedience up day by day by day, pretty soon people are going, you're pretty smart. And if you're really a worshiper, when that happens, you go, no, God's just been in my life. The Holy Spirit helps you to remember. If you, if you are doing your part, which is getting the truth in, as you walk through your life, when you need to think a godly thought, the Holy Spirit will go, Hey, remember that? And you go, sing? Oh, yeah. Now, at that point, there's something else you've got to work on, which is the obedience. The, there's, a, there's a why in the road here, isn't there? Here's God's thought, here's my thought. But the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance if you make the effort to put those thoughts in. God uses the word food or meat or milk, the food ideas, as a metaphor for his word. And part of eating food is chewing and digesting. Meditation, or the repeated reading and thinking over God's truth, is chewing on it as you, and as you chew on it, God often causes a confluence of your experience with his truth so that your understanding goes boing, and you go, wow, I see what he's saying. But it can't happen if you won't stick it in there to begin with. My best sermons are the result of 34 years and one week of meditating on God's truth. Everything I've learned since I have been living for the Lord, which is about 34 years ago that I really tried to start living for the Lord, everything that I've been trying to learn and do is in some corner of my brain. And as I live for the Lord and serve the church, Various pieces of truth become clearer, clearer. And then I spend a week really studying something, and God, the Holy Spirit, goes, see how this comes together? And I go, wow, that's really cool. And I learn stuff. This isn't just stuff that's, you know, from 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I'm learning stuff, and it's so great. I had, uh, this week I, I, I spent some time in jail, visiting the people who work there. And I was sitting having a discussion with, the, uh, with somebody there. And uh, we were talking about some things. And uh, he told me some stuff. <laughs> and I, I, I had some business cards in my pocket. I always keep them there in case somebody you know, wants to follow up with a phone call or an email or something so I can hand them a business card. But I also have them there because I can whip them out and write notes. And this guy told me something that goes on in the jail. And I went, oh, dude, I have to write that down. And I got it out and I wrote it down. And, and he, he's kind of looking at me. I go, oh, yeah, I have notepads everywhere. I got a notepad in my car. I got one in my bedroom. I have them in my office. You know, I got note things here. I got the little book I carry with me. I'm always writing stuff down because God goes, hey, look at this. What a great truth. My experience in God's truth comes together. And, and I go, wow, look at that. A little later, we're talking some more, and he said something else, and I went, oh, dude, and I whipped it out, and he just laughed. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one of them just to give you an idea. I'm, thinking, I'm always thinking about how can I explain God's word to, 
to people. And, you know, today we're talking about the importance of getting God's word into you. We were talking about a certain little piece of metal that's on women's clothing, and they have to take it out before the women go into jail. And I was sitting there watching that happen, and that's what got our discussion going. And he goes, oh, yeah, that piece of metal can be used to create an electrical arc, and they'll light their cigarettes with it in jail. I'm going, now, they they don't have cigarettes in there. No, but they make their own. Really? How do they make them? Well, they take banana peels and dry them, or peanut shells and husks and things like that, and they dry it, and they roll it up in Bible paper. Because the Bible paper is thin, so they don't get so much flavor of the paper when they're smoking it. And I went, I have to write that down. I mean, God says, get the word in you, not smoke it. (laughs) Here's a guy in jail, right? And he's going... What am I going to do today? Oh, I know. I'll rip out pieces of the Bible and smoke it. Why don't you read the Bible? Maybe you won't have to come here again. That's all. You know, that's... I hear stuff like that, and, and God says, you remember how I told you that people are really sinful and their thinking is really messed up? And I'm going, wow, there's a great example of that. And if you start sticking God's word in your head, as you walk through life, you will see those kind of examples. And the word of God will come alive to you. There's a word for that in the New Testament. There's several different words for knowing things. And one of them is the word epigenosco. And it means a full kind of knowledge. There's different words for it, but different words for knowledge. But that one is the one where you've experienced truth. And God says, look, get a hold of my truth Stick it in your mind, and as you walk through your life, the Holy Spirit will bring it to you, and he'll not only help you to understand it, he'll help you to live it out. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. The third concept in training our mind is this. We need to replace sinful thoughts with righteous ones. We've got to respect God's love. That's going to give us the motivation to do better. We've got to remember God's word. That's the material that God is going to work with. And then we have to replace sinful thoughts with righteous thoughts. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4 is talking about the Christian life kind of broadly. And it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk No longer live your life as the rest of the unbelievers do. Gentile is often a a synonym for unbeliever. In the futility of their mind. I just described to you the futility of an unbeliever's mind, didn't I? Don't live like an unbeliever in their futile thinking. Having their understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. This is not ignorance of of skill. This is ignorance of spiritual truth. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Indeed, if you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, here it is. Here's how you live out the Christian life that you put off Concerning your former way of life, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
He says, here's how you grow as a Christian. First of all, put off sin. Then have a new mind and put on righteousness. This principle of putting off and putting on is critical to all of our Christian growth. You put off the old man, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new man, which is righteous. This is how you grow in Christ. Nowhere is this more important than in the renewing of your mind. If I was sitting in my lazy boy chair, and my loving wife said, Stop being lazy! And I said, Okay! Have I stopped being lazy? When have I stopped being lazy? When I get up out of the chair and do something. That's how the Christian life works. God says, Stop lying and tell the truth. And all of the other commands of God. We, you cannot stop sinning, but you can replace sin with righteousness. Get a hold of that, Christian. Get a hold of it in your, if you're raising children. Don't tell them to stop. Tell them to change. Yes, there's a stop involved, but it always leads to a start. Let me give you some examples, and we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and talk in more detail about a couple of these processes and, and thought patterns, but let me give you some examples. First of all, replace worry with trust in God. We looked at Matthew 6 a couple of weeks ago. It says God knows what's going on in your life and he wants to take care of you. So you don't need to worry and fret and be anxious about the future. You need to trust in God. So you replace worry with trusting God. You can't stop worrying. But you can increase your dependence on God. Replace anxiety with prayer. Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Are you anxious? Anxiety is fear of the future. You look into the future and you go, it's not going to be good, it's not going to be good, it's not going to be good, it's going to be terrible, it's going to be terrible. Why is it we always imagine bad? And yet Matthew 6 says, look, your heavenly Father's taking care of you. We should look into the future and go, man, that's going to be great. I can't wait to see what God's going to do tomorrow. But we don't really trust God. That's the problem. If you have anxiety, you need to replace it with prayer. God does care about you, and you should be expressing all of your concerns to Him in prayer. And Philippians 4, 7 says, if you will truly do that, if you will give Him all of your concerns, acknowledging how great He is and that He cares for you, He will implant peace. And how simple is it? If you, don't, if you don't have peace, you haven't prayed enough. You need to replace sexual lust with love. There are temptations because of our flesh. They are God. The, the, the origin of them is God-given. And what do I mean by that? I mean that God has placed within men and women a desire for sexual fulfillment. That is created by God. At the end of creation, God said, it is good, it is very good. But that desire gets corrupted. 
and we think of sinful ways to fulfill that desire. And the cure for those sexually sinful thoughts is to think in love toward people. Let me just give you one example. In the pastoral epistles, in uh, 1 Timothy 5.2, he says, he says, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you should think of the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters. When our kids were little, one of the ways we punished them was if they were being mean to each other, we made them kiss each other. Ooh! Boy, that stopped it right now, because that's just the worst thing in the world. We made them kiss at least once. I remember that. Yeah, you did. I made them kiss. Yeah, that's right. Because sometimes it took some real revulsion to get the devil out of them. We only had to do it once, and then we said, well, we just threatened to do it after that. <laughs> Not Stephanie. She was a good child. She always was really good. Yeah, most of the time. He says, you got a problem with sexual lust? Think of women as your sister or your mother. We all see the stereotype on TV as some fellow says, don't you be talking about my sister that way. Well, how about if you don't be thinking about other women that way, mister? And I think we could also turn around and say, women, uh, if you struggle with sexual lust, think of people as your brother or as your father. Think righteous thought. You see, you put love in the place. There are also other aspects of love that could be applied. Instead of looking at a, a woman or a man as an object of sexual lust, you could say, God, what does that person need? And how could I pray for that person? Even though I don't know them, I'm going to pray for God's work in their life. Replace lust with love. Replace bitterness with forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, he says, Stop being bitter, stop being angry, stop all this stuff, and forgive like God in Christ forgave you. You have a problem with bitterness? You need to say, wait a minute, how has God... How faithful has God been to me in forgiveness? Boy, he's been really great and really patient. That's what I need to be toward other people. Replace uncontrolled anger with patient understanding. Verses like James 1.20 that says, The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. We need to look around at people and go, You know what, God? Help me to be patient toward these people. Help me not to see myself as so superior to them. And the last example I would give you today is, is replace pride with humility. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you were not given? God says, look, every good gift comes from me. And so if we can, if we can look around and say, you know, I, I have this really great skill, but it came from God. I have this really great possession, but it came from God. Then I have no basis of saying I'm better than that person. Because if I'm saying that, then I'm saying God doesn't treat people fairly. I should replace my pride with humility. Now, here's a little piece that goes with this replacement, this replacement doctrine. You need to give God's name to your thoughts as God does. Then look for God's righteous alternative. Let me just give you one example. This word gets used a lot in our society. I am so stressed out. Well, what does God call that? Well, there could be several different things. But if we would stop and say, what's the condition of my life? 
What are the condition of my thoughts? Now, what does God call that condition? Well, he might call it anxiety. He might call it worry. Could be some other things. But if I put God's name on my thought, then I can find God's resolution, God's solution, God's change point. But if I continue to refer to it as stress or some other thing, then, then the only solution I might see is the worldly solution, or I might not see any solution at all. As you are replacing your sinful thoughts with righteous thoughts, you need to restrict your input. Romans 13 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And Galatians 6, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit of the Spirit will reap everlasting life. And I want you to understand that I'm not against reading books or watching TV shows or going to movies or things like that that are, not, that are non-Christian. I'm not, that's not my point. I really hope to challenge you to think beyond that when I ask questions like this. What is the dominant value system in the books you most often read? I understand there are secular books that are quite fine and quite instructive, but what is the dominant value system in those books? Because if you're not careful, that value system may wash over onto you and it may be ungodly and you may start to think that way. What does the music you listen to teach you about life? It's not a matter of is it rock, is it country, is it classical? Operas are full of wickedness. They really are, okay? So it's not, not the music, but the lyrics. And I'm not saying it's, it's wicked to ever listen to something like that, but the point is, what is the content? What am I constantly programming myself? There's something about music that sticks in our brain. And we can repeat those lyrics back without ever having sat down to memorize them, even though we can't memorize the Bible. How's that work? Hmm... You know what a country song sung backwards sounds like? Got my dog back, got my wife back, got my car back. <laughs> he, let me just tell you something about a lot of contemporary music, both country, and I'll just use these two genres, country and rock and roll. A lot of it is about despair because life has not worked out. And if you constantly program yourself to think, yeah, life's a blank, and then we die, you're not going to think the way God thinks. Because God says, life is great, and then you get to go to heaven. And so my challenge is just to say, am I, am I working at all to control my input? Because if my input is ungodly, 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 I shouldn't be surprised when ungodly thoughts come out. When you talk about things that matter, not the weather, not the Seahawks, they don't matter. When you talk about things that matter, do your friends reference God's truth and God's thoughts? 
Do your trends, do your friends reference God's truth and God's thought? In other words, can you have a, can, can, in your group of friends, can you have a discussion and they go, yeah, you know, God this or God that or God this way, the other way, whatever. And, and it, you have this intelligent discussion. You say, well, no, my friends are unbelievers. Well, here's the challenge for you. Have you stopped to think that their thoughts may be ungodly, even though they're comfortable? When you seek counsel, when you are really trying to find the way to do things in your life, do you seek it from mature, godly people, or do you seek it in your best friend, whoever that may be? Is the truth of God as is the is God's truth as revealed in the Bible your constant screen filtering the thoughts that approach your mind from the outside? One of the cool things about our new heating and cooling system, besides the fact that it's on right now and I'm not sweating, love that, is that it has a filter. We've got three furnaces and each one has a filter this thick with multiple parts and it takes everything out right down to viruses. That's really cool because obviously in a group this size we're spreading viruses around. You know, it just just happens. One person is coughing and everybody else is going, oh no, I'm going to get sick. But you know what's really dangerous about spreading illness in a group is we are carrying and spreading the illness before we're coughing. When you don't think anything's wrong, right? All that stuff is going around. And what I'm telling you is if you don't keep God's Word in front of your mind at all times to filter the stuff coming in, you will suck up a bunch of virus. What we've been talking about so far are concepts that will enable us to renew our minds. Things that will allow us to get rid of natural thoughts and take on godly thoughts. But once we do that, we've got to take this step of requiring our own obedience. Listen to what the the Apostle Paul had to do for his own obedience. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified." He was not talking about losing his salvation. He was talking about the fact that it's possible for a Christian to fall into sin and to be ruined to ministry. But he said, what I have to do to keep that from happening is this. I have to discipline my body. I would submit to you that you have to discipline your mind. And in the light of what Paul was saying here, it has to do with taking a hold of it and saying, you will obey Do you think you can do that? God says you can do that. Let me just suggest some illustrations here. In order to lose weight, at some point, you will have to feel hungry. I read this here in the last year or two. They just said, look, there's no way to lose weight without being a little bit empty once in a while. The problem that folks like me have is I love to feel full. I love to eat and just get that oh thing going on, you know. But I have to say that's wrong. See, and if you're going to think right, you have to say there's going to be some pain involved as I jerk out those old thoughts and implant those new thoughts. In order to be an athlete, you're going to feel some pain, either from stretching your muscles or crashing into other athletes. There is no... There is no athletic competition without some pain. In order to get good grades, there will have to be effort and time spent with the books. In order to have a job, there will be days when showing up is not easy. And if you're going to develop a godly mind, you're going to have to work at it. 
That's why Peter puts it this way, but it's also for this very reason. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godly brother, godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. He loves the joy of the moment more than the payoff of the long-distance run. He is short-sighted, even to blindness. He has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Do you understand that God says you can walk confidently, strongly through life? But it requires diligence in growth. Number six, request help. Listen to what Paul told the Corinthians. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Oh, man, that's the most... That's the most uncomfortable verse in the Bible for me. Would you say that to another person? You imitate me. And, I'll, and, and later in Corinthians, Paul said, you follow me and I'll follow Christ. I'll show you the way. Would you do that to somebody else? Oh, maybe somebody that's an unbeliever that you're way ahead of. Wow. Let's just turn it around, though, at this point. If you're struggling to get your thought life squared away, you need to find somebody who's got their thought life squared away and say, please help me. Don't be so proud that you suffer in silence. There is a chain of saints going all the way back to Christ from here. The younger learn from the older until they are more mature than they are the older and they teach the younger. There's no virtue in suffering and silence. Find a helper. If they are godly, when you tell them the struggles of your thought life, they will rejoice in your desire to move forward and they will not criticize you for your struggle. Lastly, realize what's at stake. Listen to these familiar words from James, but notice the results, not just the command. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and he continues in it, and he's not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed. That little verse, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers also. We, we know that. But the result of being a doer of the word is being blessed by God. God's blessing is new Christ-like character which comes through our diligent application of God's word to our daily life. And what does that life look like? What is, what is the blessing of God that he wants to bring to us through new life? Well, first of all, it's peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Christ wants to bring you peace, but he cannot do it if you will not discipline your mind to think righteously and then change from there. Number two, it's joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. 
And lastly, the life of Christ brings fulfillment. I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Peace, joy, and fulfillment. That's what Christ wants to bring to you, but the path is through your righteous thinking, which becomes your righteous actions. When people find out I have a little musical skill, they often say, do you play an instrument? And I say, yes, I play the tuba. And they do what you just did. They laugh at me. So I've decided to learn the piano. And Marianne is going to give me my first lesson right now. Yep, just, yeah. Oh, I'm going to, here, why don't you take the, if you're not going to sit down there, why don't you grab this? Okay. There we go. Welcome to the Divine Studio. <laughs> I have brought, or you actually have brought your friends and family with you today, so I'm really glad to see that. This way, he gets used to playing in front of people from the very beginning. Okay, mm. So, um, you guys will be a very supportive audience, I'm sure. Before we start... Yeah, yeah I'm sure none of them will make fun of me at all. <laughs> I need to know why you're here. Why do you want to take piano lessons? That helps me understand where you're coming from. Hmm... I want to be a concert pianist. Okay, you're at the wrong teacher's studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, Give me another reason. <laughs> I, maybe I want to entertain my wife when the power goes out. Good answer. Okay. <laughs> that works. All right, I want you to think. Um, you have a grandson named Malachi, right? Yes. Okay, Malachi is just now learning to speak, right? Right. Okay, this is kind of like what you're going to be going through in the next few years. You're going to be learning to speak a new language through playing the piano. So, how does Malachi best learn right now? What does he do to be learning how to speak? He imitates people. Very good. So he's listening, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's listening every time his mama says something to him, his grandma and grandpa. Mm -hmm. And what else does he do? do? After he listens, what does he do? He tries to talk. Okay. He tries. He practices, doesn't he? Yes. Over and over and over again. <laughs> okay. So we're going to start. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Okay. A little more of a curve. Okay. 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 Turn that around. Look at your hand. This is your power right here. Okay. This is your tool. It's like like electricity coming out of these little fingertips. I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> and that power is going to go all the way down through your arm and out there. Okay. Okay. So this is what is the powerful part of your body right now. Okay. I'm going to put you in a place right here. You're going to actually stay up here. Okay. And turn your hand back over. <laughs> Let's just use this hand right now. Okay. Set it right here on these five notes. One finger on each note. Go ahead and play those notes. Like that? One at a time. Oh. Just one at a time. Whoa, yeah. Okay. Okay. You keep doing that. I'm going to just play something down here, but just kind of play those five notes. Okay. Okay.
Yes, I sound very good. Okay, that's good. All right. Great. Okay, so would you like to hear some more powerful playing from him? I think just a little bit more. He's okay, he's okay, but I think he can mm. be even better. Mm. So one more thing we're going to have him do, because now he knows that he has to listen to himself, because that's how you tell if you're, if you're getting to where that places you want to be, which is entertaining your wife. Right? Okay. You she already you laughs at me. <laughs> I'm also okay. going to be sending a book home with you that you need to oh. read. Oh, my gosh. Now, is oh. there something in your day that you love to do every single day? Like, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> yes, I love to have breakfast at McDonald's. Okay, so before you can do that, you have to make yourself <laughs> practice, okay? Oh, maybe man. Just 15 minutes, a half just hour would be ideal half hour every day and I guarantee you'll be making progress like crazy. Oh. So before you get to McDonald's, this is you're going to be reading this book, every word of the book. Oh my god. Oh my god. Is there a lot of words? Oh, okay. All right. So here we go. Um, you know what to do before I see you again. Okay. You're going to be playing see these black notes, there's black notes. In yes, I love the, yeah, I love the black. Okay, you're going to be doing playing with both hands. You can pick two notes, two black notes. Okay, but put one in between them. Okay. Like this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, play a few notes. Okay. And you can play anywhere you want with two black notes. And here we go. Wow. Okay, how old were you when you started taking piano lessons? Five years old. And you're some years old now. <laughs> when did you stop taking lessons? You're still taking lessons. <laughs> Is this rocket science or are you getting it? I started to learn the piano twice in my life. One time my mom tried to teach me. Silly, silly mom. <laughs> I didn't want to practice. I didn't want to work. Sure, teach it to me once, you know, and yeah, if I could play, if, 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 what, if my product could sound like the two of us just sounded together, I'm all over that. What did that take? Five minutes. There it is. Boom. Too many Christians give up after five minutes. It will take you a lifetime to think like Christ. But great progress can be made. We have heard her students over the years. I've been here eight years, and we've seen some of them grow up from little kids up to they're playing pretty good pieces. And, and uh, uh, we also hear Grace uh, Stoll, who's not one of her students, but also growing up over the years. And we can see the progress. Christian, that's what needs to happen in you. Don't give up. Don't worry that you're not as great as Billy Graham or whoever is great in your eyes. Say, God, tomorrow, today, this hour, I'm going to move forward, move forward. My thinking has become more righteous, more righteous, more righteous. And someday, you'll be playing a concert in your life. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for not giving up on us. Help us to not give up on you and your word and your way. Help us to work to change our mind, to make it more like you every day. Help us to put the word in there. Help us to let you bring it up into us. Make your word powerful today, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.